Check. Check it test. Check. Test. Well. Do you, do you feel wiped out? Was it a, a busy little um, soiree you attended? In other words, was it like a, an essentials class where you're just going from 7 a.m. till 11 at night kind of thing? Not quite that bad. So it was, it was a lot of the essential skills. Right. Exploded, you know, into a multi-day. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did say that, yeah. So they kind of... Uh, Picked apart the skills at a microscopic level kind of thing. Exactly, which was cool, and it was all pool-based, so you really didn't have a gas limitation like you would out in the open water. You didn't have a, a time limitation out in the open water. You didn't have to really worry about students approaching NDL at any particular time or... or Really, anything like you would out in an open water where you had the possibility to drop off to 50, 60 feet or more, you know, people get lost because you're in a pool. You know, yeah. So you could really take two hours and really focus on each of those little skills. Cool. Yeah. And then there's no certification obligation whatsoever. Right, right. You know, so there's no pressure there. It's just, you know, it's just. 10 people really focusing on skill development and, and making their underwater game better. So for that, it was really cool. The days, you know, started, you know, 8.30 in the morning. And, you know, we were having like a wrap-up happy hour, like 5, 6 o'clock. Oh, okay. Not so it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, a couple of hours in the morning of information and dry runs and who rock wrote, bottom, who wrote rock the bottom. thing. Jeff? Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Okay. Jeff put it all together. So kudos to Jeff, man. It was a hell of a logistical <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, uh, that went off seemingly, you know, without a hitch. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool when that can happen. And then, uh, how many yeah, people you, uh, from? How many instructors? There were three official instructors, and okay. then there were a couple of guys that were working on, you know, their instructors in training right and then you know as far as students go you know there was divers from all over the country you know uh texas crew a california crew a east coast crew a midwest crew you know divers who were relatively new divers who wanted to you know go to tech in the future divers who just came for the fun, you know, a guy from the Hyperbaric Medical Society was there, you know, some instructors and in training. I mean, it was just a really wild mix of a lot of cool people. Groovy, man. And the students, what kind of experience did they have? Were they mostly newer divers or were they all over the board? Again, all over the board. Okay, cool. So, I mean, we, there was a couple of people that had already been through Essentials, uh, a couple of people that were thinking about Essentials, so this became a nice appetizer you know to to see what the skills were going to be like uh, a couple of people that just heard about it and you know wanted to get better a couple of people that were there for some of the just planning and you know ratio deco talk and rock bottom gas management talk and also oh yeah I'll try the diving stuff too a couple of people that really wanted to focus in and work on buoyancy and kicks and so it was a good mix yeah yeah groovy and then as is you know all of these classes it's you know that couple of hours after, you know the, the like during that little happy hour where where the your brain, you know, all day of being underwater and not being able to really talk to anybody, and you know, all these thoughts are popping <laughs> in your head, and then being able to just spit that stuff out and have like really cool conversations that you know, you, a lot of these people might not have ever ever yeah. had a, a chance to even ask. You know, yeah, very nice. So for that success i i would say for sure so we're, we're hoping to do hoping to do more but that you know it's interesting because that does bring me to you know a the, the idea of having a certification even having some high level certifications the idea of this camp you know at, at first because this was like a, a bit of a pilot you don't really know how it's going to be received where it's going to go what's going to happen right 
But I, I tell you, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, have been through even some high level training, you know, that are, have went through the essentials. A couple of guys that, that were there with my essentials, even from not that long ago, got a, got a lot of value out of it because it was a great way to refresh something like that. You know, I would notice that people who had been diving for a very long time, but eh, the meat of their training was so long ago. Yeah, that you know things get a little get a little rusty over the over the years. You know. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And you don't really have anybody out there that's running like a tech diver tune up or a, a tech diver refresher. Right. You know, so it's often assumed that once you go through your ANDP or your first tech class or, or anything like that, you, you're kind of done with training. So to have a way to get in the water and go through valve drill stuff again, work on the you know the basics of buoyancy and propulsion and clean up and polish a lot of that stuff is pretty cool. Cool, man. Well, hey, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. Hey, you're now that we're back, with- well, James, now that we're back, can I go get a cup of coffee? Yeah, go do it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with Two Cup Brando. <laughs> and Flight Delay Jamesy. And Bolt Brewery Jamesy. Bolt Brewery. Yeah, shout out to uh, Justin for taking me out to start our San Diego adventure on Monday at good old uh, Bolt Brewing. Wow. So what time did you guys begin your Monday morning soiree? It was uh, early afternoon, actually. Oh, okay. I was going to say, nothing says you have a problem like being at Bolt Brewery at 10 a.m. <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on the door. Hello? You guys Hello. Could you open guys, up any you guys open up? Yeah. Hey, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no. He, uh, we we had a whole bunch of running around to do, Jeff and I, of returning all the bottles to the dive shop and returning. The, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we ended up getting a you know like a rental U-Haul that became like a storage locker, and so we oh, had to groovy. do all that yeah, stuff. And Justin was working in the morning, and, but we went up in the afternoon, went downtown, went down along the the coastline downtown in the harbor or, or in the bay there, and yeah, checking out all the cool boats and. Hit, a, hit uh, the Brigantine, I think, was the other little pub that's right there out, up on the water looking out on the bay. Okay. So it was a, he, uh, he took me around town and treated me well. Nice. So, Justin, when you come to Detroit, I owe you one. It's always nice running into these Great Dive podcast listeners all over the place. Yeah, Justin's more than a listener, though. He's, 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 he's become family. Family. Right? He's, like, yeah. he's on the staff almost. <laughs> right. They didn't. Know, they don't know that the staff doesn't really get paid, uh, and they they end up doing shit all the time. <laughs> right. He, That's uh, Tiffany. He, he yeah. Justin was definitely my uh, production assistant for enjoying the, the the day in San Diego. Yep. But we've got a, a little story that you and I had been kind of talking about running over a little while from good old scuba diving lesson for life. That kind of hits a couple of cool things about, you know, uh, complacency that we talk about a lot and, you know, getting comfortable doing doing the same old routine in the water and just going through the motions and not really having your head clicked on and, and being in the game. You know, which is so easy for, for so many divers to do is, you know, they they find their little happy dive and, you know, I could just get in the water and do this dive without even thinking about it thinking that that makes the dive super safe but you know what we're gonna find out with old scuba ted here down looking for him some crawdads that there crawdads can get you in some little bit of that their trouble time to time <laughs> crawdads yeah i've heard stories yeah we give a shout out to old kevin who's uh, at the camp this week too from louisiana which may be where this might be somewhere close to louisiana louisiana is a crawdad state isn't it it is a crawdad state. That is the headquarters, I think. It's not just the crawdad state. Or is that the sh- is that a shrimp state? Am I thinking too much bubble gum? I think it's both. Well, both, both. for sure. Yeah. But I think if there is a crawdad state, it would be Louisiana, right? <laughs> get the mayor on the phone. Let's uh, get this sorted out. But hey, are you too comfortable 
That's the that's the question from this story. Being happy and in your little happy zone underwater is uh, you know could be a dangerous thing. Yeah, if you get a little too happy, too much happiness is bad for you. Right, because you know that's why we got if married. But <laughs> I am kidding, one hundred percent kidding. <laughs> you know, if your happy place is sitting out in the woods, you know, taking pictures of birds. You can get completely wrapped up in the environment, lean back against a tree, nap for two hours. I don't know. Have you ever heard the the purple-breasted woodcock? <laughs> that thing will not let you sleep. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. Wait, wait. You are talking about the bird, though, purple-breasted yes. woodcock. Is there any other one? <laughs> You're not talking about that trip to Tijuana from uh, 2008. <laughs> oh no, no. Okay, just no. check. No, but but you know, you I mean if you're on land or, or you're underwater or two different worlds, and and to, to get lost in the moment, being in your happy zone on land, yeah, yeah, you end up you know walking back to the to the parking lot at the the, the park you're in at twilight or even in the dark unexpectedly. But underwater, man, you. You go cruising down the wrong wrong way, just kind of get into a groove above and beyond, you know, where you should be. You still got to remember you got the whole still got to get out of the water thing and all those physiological effects and gas remaining effects. And you go you just go for a wild Sunday drive with with no mission, no focus, just letting the road take you where it takes you. Okay, you, you run out of gas, you have to make a two-mile walk and get a, a an emergency fill, but underwater, not that same luxury. Solitude was the first thing Ted would say when people asked him why he liked to dive in a local lake in search of his local crawfish, which they called crawdads. <laughs> do, do, do they have that accent, y'all? Darn tootin', y'all. You're missing a straw hat and a long piece of grass sticking out of your teeth. Howdy, y'all. I got my jean overalls rolled up just like old Huck Finn. They say he always made the dives alone and took his time searching under the rocks and the limbs in the water. And the second thing he would tell people was that the little bugs tasted really good with some butter. <laughs> You've been working on your Cajun. <laughs> Tastes really good with some butter. Now, I, I, I guess if you're a bugger, you're probably a lot, you know, in many ways, like like the photographer, you know, in so much as you're underwater for a mission that you want to do that a lot of other divers might not be so fully hip into enjoying with you. So this is that, that whole, you know, solo diver versus team diver debate. You know, and, and being able to find the right buddy that, that can go on the mission with you. Because you, you see what, what happens with Ted here. He's just, ah, nobody wants to swim around following me mucking through the, the silt, stirring the place up, digging for crawdad. So I just get into a groove of doing this by myself. It's my, it's my thing. Yeah, I definitely get that because it's so easy to... Uh just be in your own world and go off on your own. It's just, you know, it is photography. If you're not on, if you're not staying on and aware of your team. Yeah. Right. Like, like you're coming up this weekend, you know, I'm, I was really hoping to jump in the water this weekend coming up. My wife's going to be out of town. I really want to get some more time playing with that camera. So just, just getting in where I can not have something that I have to do. Like I, for since i've gotten that camera it's been jump in you've got this uh, guy yeah. get some pictures done right now <laughs> yeah you know, i really haven't had the just getting play around and practice with it time so you always get that lure that that little carrot dangled in front of you of ah it's the local lake ah it's 20 feet ah it's just finding a buddy's gonna be hard just just go play yeah yeah, it's nice when you have that that dive. That's really, it's almost just like a, a nice little uh, walk downtown where you just explore whatever you want versus your normal dive is, you're usually quite busy. You're busy with the uh, kids, basically. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
And um, here, like we're going to see with Ted, he liked to go diving. But he's, they say he wasn't really interested in the sport for the adventure of it. He liked it for the quiet time that it gave him. He liked to get away from cell phones and text messages. It wasn't that he was antisocial, they say. They say exactly the opposite. He was too busy and had too many demands on his life. His one way to escape was to go diving. And that you hear so much, you know, being hanging around the different people in the dive community. There's always a handful of those people right there, right? That they just, it's its their getaway. I can turn off the world. Yeah. Well, it's scuba diving, right? You can turn off the outside world, but now you're in another world. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you got to turn on a whole different set of uh, awareness. Thank you very much. Yeah. Is it a set of awareness? Sets of awareness. Yes. Aware and I. Well, you need multiple. And, and here's a perfect example. You know, there's so many people that, you know, what they learn in their basic scuba class is that it's, a, it's an escape from it all. But what you really need to be learning as well is it's, it's a, this new world that you're talking of with a whole new set of awarenesses. Awareness eye? Is it an awareness <laughs> eye? I was going with awareness eye, but it sounds, uh, you know, very made up and ridiculous. So I don't know. But you, you know how you, well, you live life every day and you, you become very complacent and you're walking around in your daily activities, right? You, you don't even think about it. Usually you're on autopilot and you go underwater because you want a, a change from that. So you have to turn on again. You got to get off autopilot and go on manual. But eventually you get very complacent down there too. It's easy to get complacent. You're only there a short time and you do a few dives and you're like, I got this. So you start crawdadding or crayfishing or crawfishing. Do you know there's a whole study on whether they call the crawfish a crayfish, a crawfish, a crawdad, a mud bug? Mud bug? Mud bugs. <laughs> Y'all want to have some mud bugs tonight. What, and what is this study? Well, it's on the, um, it was the mapping the U.S. dialect variations of crayfish or crawdad. Uh, Joshua Katz of North Carolina State University put this together, but he was Curious what people call them in their different parts of, and, and it's only the United States. But yeah, crawdads, crayfish, crawfish. Now up here, yeah, yeah I mean up here in in, in Michigan, we I, we've always called them crawfish. I call them crayfish when I was a kid. We used to go out crayfish. and get them in the creek. You're right. Call them the creek, the creek. Called the creek, the creek, which is utterly ridiculous now that I'm older. But go down to the creek. What about the brook? You call the brook? You call the brook the brick? We probably would have. Had we had a brook, but all we had was our creek. Our creek was the Rouge River, you know, which ran down right through Lola Valley Park, there where I lived. So we would, right? We would just go down there, and our parents would be like, "Get out of that water!" Right. We would, yeah. We would go down, yeah. We would we hang out in Heinz Park down at the down in the where the Rouge River came running through. We water was like shin, maybe knee deep in places, and a bunch of crayfish. You're always like grabbing crayfish, and yeah, we used to go into the. Uh, like the seaweedy areas and just like reach in and you'd come out with, you know, sometimes it was like crayfish season and we right, go crazy. Yes. Now we didn't eat them. We we're just kids. And yeah, we didn't eat them. We just caught them, fooled around with them and threw them back in the water. Right. Right. Especially knowing what we would know like five years later after being kids about the Rouge River. <laughs> Rouge River. <laughs> I don't think it was as bad as they're saying. I know it's not bad now. I mean, they, there's fish and all kinds of uh, stuff. In the, in it, in the yeah. 1980s, it, it became a, a, one of the most polluted areas of, you know, but over through the 90s and early 2000s, you know, there's been such a great, fantastic cleanup effort going on in those rivers because we, we know that all that's floating and working its way right out to the Great Lakes. And to your water supply. And exactly. And to your tap water. Yeah, yeah. So luckily there's wonderful efforts out there like the part, uh, you know, like the organization I am now part of, Great Lakes Great Responsibility. Join us dun, for a cleanup. Dun, 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 dun. Shameless shout out to uh, Great Lakes Great Responsibility. Join us for a cleanup so that we can hunt some crawdaddies. With and great response. Do you know? Uh, do you know the crawfish? <laughs> you know the crawfish name from an old French word, escrevis, which uh, was modified over time to become a uh, crawfish. Unless you're down really? in the south. Really? How did they get crawfish out of that? S 
Crevice. Oh, Crevice. I get the. How how do you spell that? It's like crevice. C r e v i c e. Yeah. Huh. Crevice. Is that where it lived in little cracks and crevices? What's going on? I want to know the uh, etymology. Ed, ed- the entomology. Entomology. Etymology. I think it's etymology. I think entomology is diseases. Etymology is word origin. Yeah, etymology is ling- linguistic form, the history of a linguistic form. Yeah, entomology is uh, disease origin. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to correct you, James. You don't need any correcting. You're fine. I just, if you were talking to someone important, I didn't want you to say entomology when you meant etymology. Just looking out for you. So, what 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 did what did the study say that you found on this entomology? Well, it's pretty long, but a lot of people read the comments that came in. He's got like you know uh, color coded maps for the different areas with the different words. It's very tiny writing. It's like um, so they have like down in in like HQ for crayfish hunting or crawdad hunting or crawfish hunting, whatever down in Louisiana which has the biggest concentration, they call it crawfish. But up in, uh, up in Michigan, we call it crayfish. You got a, a little area that goes like um, Ohio, southern Ohio, uh, Kentucky, and in through the middle of the U.S., right? Like right in the center is a circle of where they call it crawdads. And then on the west coast, they have some more like Northern Cal and um, most of the area of Oregon calls it crawdads. So there's a couple little pockets of crawdads in the middle of the country and in the northwest of the country. The north is crayfish, and then most everybody else is is, uh, crawfish, especially Louisiana. They're dark red, and red is crawfish. And then some places call them mud bugs. And mud bugs, another slang term. And uh, and some places call them ditch bugs. I haven't heard ditch bugs. Ditch before. bugs, yeah. Well, you can find them in ditches. You, I've I've heard people call them freshwater lobster. Yes, yeah, freshwater lobster. They do look like a lobster, smaller. They look, yeah, they look like a mini lobster for most for the most part, yeah. In the freshwater lakes, I'm probably almost anywhere, right, in the U.S. I can't speak of Europe. Interestingly enough, because for our Australian listeners, mate, Oi. you know what they call them in uh, Aussie land, mate? Uh, shrimps on the bobby? <laughs> they call them yabbies. <laughs> yabbies. Well, of course they call them yabbies. <laughs> Those Australians got to come up with a... Their language, their lingo is like... Something we would have invented when we were like 14 or 13, you know? Right. Maybe even 12. Like, yabbies. What do we call them? Let's call them yabbies. The barbecue. What should we call the barbecue? The bobby. Let's do it with this funny accent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So. Just kidding. My my mates down under are my mates and my... uh, well, girls comes under mates too, doesn't it? Yeah, literally. Yeah. For me, a girl would be a mate. Literally, literally, literally. But not not everybody. Old Ted had some mates, but but Ted didn't like to dive with any mates. Well, of course not. Ted preferred to dive alone. Uh, he was in the closet, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't come out, so he had a, like a whole other life he was leading. It happens. Netflix has a lot of movies about that. <laughs> he liked it that way because he didn't have to work on anybody else's schedule, Brando. Oh, I believe it. Or have to deal with anybody else's problems. Dude, you got to admit, diving solo would be a thousand times easier. You're a hundred. Yeah, I, I, I get it. A thousand times more risk, but a thousand times easier. Correct. It's a paradox. It is the eternal paradox of all life in the universe. Diving alone or with a team? Hmm. I mean, the other side of that is a lot of people dive with a team, but they're essentially alone. There you go. Yeah, yeah. We have many stories about that, right? So that's that age-old question of what's better? Do I dive alone or do I dive with a really shitty buddy who's only focused on catching crawdads and not paying attention to me? What... What buddy would be better in that situation? Just me by myself or me trusting somebody else that's not really going to 
you know, re- recipro- reciprocate that. Yeah, that's called a false a false dichotomy because there's an there are other options. Mainly, dive with a an aware, uh, competent team member. Oh, I have to take the time to <laughs> yes. to get good at this, and somebody else has to do the same thing. Shit. Right, and I think that again, that false dichotomy is rampant out there. Like, I only have two choices: the piss poor buddy or by myself. Those are the only two choices I got. Yeah, which was which is, if we go back to what we were chatting about earlier about this whole camp thing and how we're saying it, it's, it, th- this camp I thought was one of the best refreshers, for people who really didn't even realize they were doing a refresher, it, in many ways. You know, this is a great way to work on some skills. But one of the best things I thought about this camp was that you had so many different people coming from so many different perspectives and walks of life of how to tackle the same thing. That it, it's a great way to start talking to other people and learning to expand your your own awareness of the buddies and the different way to approach a dive out there. It's pretty cool. Right. It's all about sharing sharing yeah, the yeah. fun and sharing the responsibility. So sharing and caring, as the Care Bears would say. Welcome to the Care Bear School of Scuba Diving. <laughs> Teddy Teddy Bear. <laughs> Here we speaking go. Of, speaking of Care Bears, Teddy Bear. Love the fact that he could just grab his gear, drive up to the mountain lake, and make a dive. And when he was successful at finding crawdads, he loved to have a bunch of his friends over to eat. So he'd make a big old crawdad boil. He didn't want to die with them, but he'd happy to share in the food and the experiences there. Just not so much underwater. Yeah, a good old-fashioned Cajun crawdad boil. Now, I think this is where Ted runs into the biggest problem, Brando. Now, you're going to have a a field day with this. Seasoning the crawdads. There's a lot of debate. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do do just butter or you you put some some cayenne pepper in there? I was going to say, you got to put the heat in there, man. This is the debate that, you know, for over 250 episodes, I've been prepping the people. With all Brando's knowledge and experience out there, you know, I, I, finally I'm getting ready to ask him the big question. <laughs> How do we prepare the crawdads, the mud bugs? Ted made nearly the same dive every time he went into the lake. And this day was no exception, they say. He drove to the access road that ran beside the dam, assembled his gear, and walked into the water. He never went more than 30 or 40 feet deep. He always stayed in the light zone, up where the water was warmer, because after years of hunting crawdads, he knew that those little bugs preferred the warmer water, so there was no point in really going any deeper. And the summer had been unusually warm and dry, allowing the lake water to clear, <clears throat> allowing the lake water to clear deeper and get warmer. And he found himself a little deeper than normal, now closer to 50 feet. And he was having a good day, though. Found lots of crawdads, lots of them mud bugs. <laughs> and he'd been underwater about 20 minutes, and his game bag was nearly full as he swam close to the spillway gate. And that's when he got in trouble. Uh-oh. Spillway gates, stay away. There's a lot of pressure there, spillway gates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the slightest spill Cracking. of a spillway, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, is is sucking water. You have the weight of the lake behind you is basically what's going on. Just think about yeah. it. It's found as right. far as PSI uh, on your body being pressed against Yeah, because ba- basically, uh, you know, the, the lake ends up being a reservoir for all that mountain water. Well, yeah. And then to control the flow downstream, they basically dam it up and let that lake level get higher, 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 or they open that spillway, let it get lower, lower, lower. Right. And here they're spilling off water. And because Teddy Bear was not aware, you got to be aware, Teddy Bear. (laughs) Well, so they say that even in the dry summer, the lake operator released water from the lakes as streams higher in the mountains continued to feed it. The lake also supplied a series of streams down the mountain and provided a water source for the town that Ted lived in. And even though the flow of water passing through that spillway was low, 
the pressure above it for the reason what we're saying right here yeah. of, of let's, you got the whole goddamn lake, right, was enormous. They say that the opening to the spillway was 50 feet underwater and the pressure above Ted exerted 21.5 pounds per square inch. And when he got too close to the opening of the spillway, Ted was pulled against the gate like a star to a black hole. He didn't have the strength to pull himself free. Okay, let's go. So 14.7 PSI, everybody knows, is is the surface pressure. Now he's down at 50 feet, so not quite double that, that, Mm -hmm. right? Not quite double, but, I mean, just 14.7 PSI, you're looking at, you know, you've got... That's 144 square inches in, in a square foot. Like how big's a right. typical human guy, body. the, the yeah. body of a human. Let's call him six you know, square feet of body. Yeah, probably a little less. But so yeah. Let's, yeah, so let's say four so. square feet. Yeah, well, we can't go wrong with four. I think most humans would be at least. So like, so like you said, but well over 500. Yeah. Times 22 pounds per square inch i mean we're mm. upwards of eleven thousand pounds pressing and and the thing is yeah like when you're diving you have all that psi on you but it's in all directions and it's not it's not pushing you through a uh, a crack or a crevice or a hole what's going on with uh opening the spill gates is the same thing in a in a hyperbaric chamber we used to talk about this in commercial school because there's a lot of horror stories where, you know, like on the toilet, the, so the hyperbaric chamber toilet, they clear it by sealing it off, and then they open the out, they let off the pressure and open outside and take the contents. Well, people sit on that toilet, and they open it accidentally, or it's opened. Just even a crack, it'll suction them down, but it'll suck their guts out through their, you know what, Oh, oh, right, first, right. I, mean, we, I gotta watch my language first time I've gotta watch my language this, so uh, I say you know what <laughs> right <laughs> oh we've come so long away since beep 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 we were just talking about that over the weekend yeah yeah like a couple of weeks ago I got invited you know with the Detroit police guys who we went down to the hyperbaric chamber yeah you're in the chamber right and the door that's sealing the hyperbaric chamber is it's it's sealed by pressure I, I mean you could you can move this gigantic steel door like with with your yeah. pinky finger there's like zero pressure like it's there's not even a lock on it and everybody at first is like isn't there like a big latch and lock and like as soon as as soon as there's like five pounds of pressure like all 10 of you are not gonna be able to move that door right exactly that's exactly it the pressure the, because of the size of it right yeah uh you start increasing the pressure in the chamber the door a human being is going to be able to move it very quickly like you like you said five psi increase just think about it you know over that yeah, exactly you know, and uh, as the the pressure's releasing in the chamber and you're 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 looking at your the depth gauge, right? As your your yeah four three two, and, and you know, they're trying to move the door like <laughs> at a foot and a, <laughs> at a foot and a half. Still, yeah. like a the whole entire offensive line of the, well, yeah. the football team is, is not strong enough to move that door yet. It, it's literally that all that pressure has to be released before right. that door can even be moved. Yeah, it's tremendous amount of pressure over, especially when you talk about square inches or square feet or whatever square inches because we use psi but the it's it's it goes to the other you know thing we talk about sometimes with uh, newer divers is why don't you use just use a long snorkel well effectively like 10 inches underwater 12 it gets too difficult to breathe you know 15 inches underwater your your lungs cannot counteract the pressure on them just a foot underwater right that's why you can only do it at the surface. Exactly, exactly. That that water pressure is insanely. And then anybody who's you know ever gone to some place like Jenny Springs, you know, even you know, open waters can go to that grate at the at oh the, yeah, uh, feel at the, the ballroom, yeah. at the bo- ballroom there, right? So if you if you are strong enough to be able to swim down and grab onto that 
steel gate and feel the amount of pressure that's blowing out of there. Could you imagine being on the other side of that grate? Just like you would, yes, you'd just, you'd be locked, locked against it. And trying to get away from the grate? Yeah, you're dead. So for Ted, diving meant peace and quiet. He had grown so comfortable diving that he failed to watch his surroundings and pay attention to what was going on around him. He had gotten lazy. Ted didn't monitor his depth. He simply stayed away from the thermocline, which, because all that warm water was spilling in, was 20 feet deeper than than what he usually did. So he got himself, you know, usually he was nowhere even near that spill gate. And now, because it was 50 feet underwater, all that warm water's right there. He, He swam right in front of it, not paying attention to where he was. Often they say when the water is calm, you can see the physical line of the thermocline, but you can always feel it as suddenly as you feel that cold water. And he knew that as long as he stayed in the warm water, he would be too shallow to have to worry about getting too deep and getting in front of the spillway. And that was what he was focused on. He forgot, though, that the lake changed from day to day as water levels raised and lowered and that temperature changed. And he also, they say, didn't pay attention to his surroundings. When he encountered the spillway, he should have realized that something was different about this dive. He was much deeper than he was used to going. And while he wasn't in danger of running out of air at that moment, he was using his air faster than he would if he were 20 feet shallower. And had he not run into the spillway, this is something else that he could have gotten in big trouble with. And... um, they mentioned here that that water pressure can be greatly deceiving, you know, because the, the flow, although it looks like it's moving very, very slowly, it still is exerting an ungodly amount of pressure. And they say, like we just talked a moment ago, that pressure spread out over a large opening across your body adds up to thousands of pounds of force pulling you down. And caught in that pull, there is no way to free yourself. Even with help, it could be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we've been saying, man. And in this case, no one even realized that Ted was missing until long after he was out of gas. They found his truck on the access road, and the local public safety dive team was called in, and they quickly found his body still stuck against the spill gate. Even after shutting the water flow down, it didn't help pull his body free because the pressure behind his body had basically created a vacuum and locked him in place. It took several hours of work to recover his body because it was wedged so tightly and securely against that spillgate. I mean, uh, I think we've mentioned it before, but we had, you know, that spillgate here locally like 20 years ago of that commercial diver that was hired to, to clean that grate off, and it got opened up on him. Yeah, I think he, you know, he is a self-proclaimed commercial diver. I, I don't think any well-trained commercial diver would have jumped in without the dual lock system going so nobody could have touched that right and uh because this that that guy didn't get locked up against the gate no he got sucked through that's well that's eventually what's going to happen and so his whole body and i think he had a super light on i'm not sure but his whole body went through a small pipe yeah that's gonna leave a mark man (laughs) that's gonna leave a (laughs) that's gonna leave a mark all right. Well, hey, uh, we got a couple of lessons for life, Brando, that uh, we should tell the people about. That old Eric Douglas, the director of training for Divers Alert Network here at the time. Uh, this, I think, was from early t- 2010. I was just a wee lad back then. Uh, could you imagine going back to 2010? If I w- if it was 2010, I could have I could have uh, held my own so much better on that pub crawl of san diego <laughs> that justin tried to take me on over the weekend is that old old age creeping up on <laughs> you yeah he old granddad should have uh, been given a, a a cardigan and a rocking chair like <laughs> smoking pipe hours uh, earlier and, and take a little nap gramps that's <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll be back diving alone brando is only for people properly trained and equipped most divers should only dive with a buddy First one they leave us with, lessons for life. If you do choose to dive alone, 
it's still important to let others know your dive plan and preferably have a beach master who knows your dive plan and can initiate a search if you don't return at a scheduled time. Yeah, I mean, if if you are like wanting to return, if this isn't like the last dive, you you should tell someone, <laughs> I'm going to be back by such and such a time if I'm not, send in the cavalry kind of thing. Right, right. I mean, there's no macho-ness needed for that. I mean, I mean, diving, you know, weird things happen diving. That's why, you know, taking the time to build a quality, a well-managed, well-trained dive team, it, it's, it's worth its value in the end, although it's a lot of work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not just getting yourself ready. It's getting somebody else ready and capable and competent. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of work. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why so many people, you know, just th- they take the easy way out on that. And they go, ah, you know, I, I, I feel safer just diving by myself. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I get the logic sometimes. I Again, I think it's a false dichotomy i think you just need to find the right teammate right dive buddy and i know that's difficult man i'm the first one to tell you finding uh finding proper dive buddies is difficult i was always telling students that that's why we i mean you and i we prefer to cultivate our own dive teams our own local dive teams where we have a pool of people that we feel good about diving with right but i mean looking back over the decades and then still one of the most common things that I hear from people is, ah, it's so hard to find a buddy. I'm like, yeah, no shit. I've, I've been dealing with this for 30 years. Right. And a lot of people treat it like a marriage, whereas they just hook up with the first one they, they dive with. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. Like, dude, Diving is not a one-night stand. No, that you end up you know, making a commitment to. Right. Lifelong, there's, lifetime commitment. There's courting. There's courting that should go exactly. on with, with dive teams. Get to know each other. See if you have common interests, and uh... you you got to hang out on first base for a little bit. You know, exactly. Uh, have a there's a lot of fun that can happen. There's a lot of fun conversation that can happen on first base. Stay away from spillways, Brando. Well, Sluice that, gates that low... should go without. You would think that. You know, this is a basic, and to me, and I think you would agree, this is a basic piece of knowledge as far as knowing how water pressure works and opening something to from zero pressure on, the, on, on one side to great pressure, or actually going from great pressure to zero pressure kind of thing. Crazy amount of force, crazy amount of uh, poundage that would push your body into that hole to block it. That should be out of basic... 101 open water you should know that like you don't have to be able to calculate it. i'm not going to go yeah give me the exact psi for the figure out the area of the hole don't need that just need to know little hole even Big water 15 feet of water bad news for you don't go near that hole <laughs> right don't go exactly. near those gates just stay away i mean am i asking too much do you think that that's not a that's a little more advanced i think it's just basic diving 101 the, the well, whole yeah. thing is you learn about pressure and its effects on your body and the environment. Yeah, it's one of the, the, the key takeaways from anybody's class, any any scuba class on planet Earth. You know, cha- the chapter one discussion is should be a no-brainer of a takeaway. Well, I think they're th- even going to throw out like 14.7 PSI is, is one atmosphere because that you have a decimal. You have a three-digit number with a decimal, and it's a lot for people to get over. And it's kind of discriminatory against the dumb. <laughs> you see, that's a problem. We, we've, we've said we don't want to discriminate against the dumb. And I, I want to go, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want dumb around me. I don't want dumb around me. Dumb is, you know, at least without Dumb is some, danger. dumb, dumb can be dangerous, dangerous, especially if there's a spillway involved. And, and discrimination is not a bad word. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to use discrimination when approaching activities like scuba diving. Use discrimination. I mean, use your brain. Make judgment calls based on your knowledge and the environment and reasonable estimations of the risk you're about to take. That's called discrimination, by the way. Use discrimination. Discernment. Same thing.
So and discriminate away- against the dumb. Sorry, that's my and the, stay away that's from the moral of my story. <laughs> I'm sorry, James. Try this is the first time James trying to get a word in. He's like, I should not have allowed him to have that second cup of coffee. Stay away from spillways, people. It's uh, you know, even the, the the slightest slightest opening in water that looks like it's moving very very slowly is still a ton a ton of pressure, and uh, could be nearly impossible of freeing yourself from stay alert to your surroundings even when you've made the same dive a number of times it's still important to stay alert and pay attention as the environment might change without your knowledge and that's the one where i knew you know you were going to have all this stuff come back up about the complacency talk that we've had so many times well yeah it's it's so easy to get in the water and do that same old dive again that you just you, you take your awareness off or you, or you ease back on the awareness maybe is, is a better way to say it. Right. When in reality, the more routine the dive gets, the more hyper aware you should try to be looking for just those little differences. Because really, the, the more routine the dive gets, you should be able to spot those little differences easier if you have the right frame of mind. Little things should be obviously different unless you're just rolling through the motions not paying attention like we do with this podcast (laughs) (laughs) you're just you're back on yabbies aren't you i'm (laughs) exactly (laughs) brandon's just like when do we get into the seasoning (laughs) when do we get to the part where we learn about how to season these how to season these damn crawdads yeah taco bell hot sauce the diablo hot sauce the last lesson for life that Eric gives us is watch your depth and air pressure. Ultimately, you have to be responsible for yourself. No matter, you have to monitor your dive profile and determine your level of acceptable risk. No one else can do that for you. No. And we said that before. Yeah. Keep saying it again. I think a lot of what we're talking about here today is is knowledge that you should know out of Open Water 101. And probably old teddy bear did know it, but again, we go to this complacency thing where I've made 30 dives since certification and piece of cake. Of course, you know, we talk about other things like uh, normalization of deviance, you know, and that's probably a lot of what happened, at least as far as he went diving alone and he did it often. So all of a sudden that becomes the normal and what can go wrong? Nothing goes wrong. So that breeds the complacency. And he never even starts to like hone his awareness. He goes the other way with it, which is turning it down, turning the volume of awareness down. So Yeah, yeah. Good point. Like that, that, That's a great point of at a point where it should be getting more aware, he's become so complacent that he's actually done the opposite. Yeah. Well, like I say, a lot of this stuff sounds to me like open water 101 knowledge. You know, for example, the monitoring your gas supply, watching your environment, meaning the the goddamn spillway gates. Right. Yeah. Stay the blank away from those. Unless you're a commercial diver and in commercial diving, they spend a lot of time talking about doing work around these kind of pieces of equipment underwater, the danger involved and how to mitigate that danger. You don't eliminate it entirely but you mitigate it with procedures that kind of ensure you're it's not going to happen the accidental opening of the valve or door or gate or whatever right but i mean so many divers i mean you look back at this camp you know that, that we did over the weekend and revisiting some of these beginning level skills i mean nobody did anything in this skills camp that that you wouldn't have an open water certification card for already. It's just the attention to detail with them and the attention of all this other awareness things that is what we're really trying to improve with the people. Not so much that I'm going to show you how to clear your mask better, but it's the awareness of everything else. And when you're so wrapped up. But I am going to show you how to clear your mask better. Well, yeah, that, but, but you know what I mean? Like uh, it, it's it's not being ha- not having the bandwidth to even notice this other stuff because you're so overloaded with with just diving with diving. Right. And you don't know what you don't know. And yeah, it's um, it's quality. It's teaching quality of the, the skills. And that's where we probably 
that's you and I in our difference with the mainstream scuba, and that's where we kind of gripe from. It's not what they're teaching. It's the quality of the instructor they're producing, which turns into the quality of the student that instructor turns out. So you get this vicious cycle that we've got right now where a hundred diver, dive, diver is becoming a, an instructor, and it, gets, it waters down and it's happened for 30 years, right? Right. It's watered down the material to the point where you can't you know, put a decimal on the bottom. Right. Exactly. They can clear a mask once and and that's called mastery and and stuff like that and and saying be aware of your surroundings is enough for the class. No. Saying that is is like introducing the book. That's like the forward in the book of being aware of your environment but it's in you, bold face exactly it's, it's bold in bold face, face and that's print. as far as they they read they didn't read the 13 chapters after on being aware of your surroundings and your team and your equipment so yeah there, there's a there's a lot more to it than making sure that there's a question in the quiz yeah well yeah when <laughs> when that's the focus of the class will this be on the test mr schwartz if any y'all fucking ask me that question, that, that's where th- that key and peel would come out. <laughs> All y'all done fucked. <laughs> you want to go to war? <laughs> are you here to take a test? Or are you you're here to learn how to do something that's going to change your life? Yeah. yeah, God yeah it's damn cr- it. Crazy, so you, you did it. It was a skills camp you were doing? Yeah, just a skills camp. They went camp. with camp. Did you guys make s'mores? Is it not camping? No s'mores? No camp. I don't even. You don't have to have a tent for me to be camping. But you but do s'mores. have to have s'mores. There were no s'mores, were there? Well, uh, we uh, we we did send out a, an evaluation questionnaire, so we're, we're waiting. For, uh, I want to see how many people are going to complain that, that there was no that there was no s'mores. Where's the goddamn s'mores. You said camp. I got my graham crackers, my chocolate, my marshmallows, and my. I was sharpening sticks at the end of the day on on Friday. <laughs> Well, should we sign some uh, log books on this uh, camp s'mores? <laughs> you got to, I, I, I see you got yeah, your probably. whittling knife there, but uh, you, got, you got a pen so you can sign got, this log book. I got to hunt down, hunt down me a stick, a good roasting stick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, dear Crawdad Jamesy, let's make uh, Crawdad s'mores. Have you ever thought of that? Crawdad s'mores. That sounds like. sickening, actually. <laughs> Okay, you little yabby. <laughs> I was waiting for yabby to come back in there. Come on now. All right, you little yabbies out there. I uh, hope you guys have fun with this week's podcast. Uh, shout out to the Great Dive Podcast fans uh, that were out at the camp. Uh, got to meet and see and give out a lot of stickers over the weekend, which was great. And uh, we will hopefully see you somewhere far away from a spillway underwater. Agreed. Safe diving. Stay away from those spillways. <laughs>